five-week series on worship. And in these five weeks, we are doing something different in that we are not worshiping God through music. You know, worshiping God through song is something that we love to do here at Trinity, and it's it's a part of many of our, our lives, even throughout the week. And hopefully you've been worshiping to your, your preferred style of music throughout the week. But the idea is that for these five weeks, corporately, on Sunday morning, we are worshiping God differently uh, and not through music. And in a way, uh, as we're in that season of Lent or preparation, whatever you might do to prepare for, uh, for that coming season of Passion Week, it begins with uh, Palm Sunday and then we head into, of course, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. In the preparations for that and just bringing our focus and attention, some people uh, in the Christian faith will, um, they will abstain from something. Maybe it's, you know, one of their favorite hobbies or something and they will put that aside. Maybe it's food or whatever. The idea is that it's to help you refocus and sort of recalibrate. And so as a church, we're doing that by setting aside something we love and that's bringing our worship to God through song. And we're saying, look, um, music is not worship. It's one way to express our worship to God. And so by putting that aside for a short time, it is to help us focus on what true worship is. And that's what our series is on. And today we're going to look at Romans 12, just the first verse. And we'll get to that in a moment and, and read it. And it'll be up on the screen and all that. But um, it's a very familiar passage, uh, verse that talks about worship. But you know, it's all about being a living sacrifice. And the idea that we are to live our lives as an act of worship, not just for a half an hour or an hour on a Sunday morning. You know, um, when I was a kid, I was often very forgetful. And as an adult, I'm even more forgetful. Can anybody sort of relate to that? But I remember, you know, my mom, as most moms do, they tend to have a lot of sayings and things that you remember that they would say over and over. And usually it was because you would do the same thing over and over and they would have to say it. And I was so forgetful. And I remember my mom would say things like, you know, you'd forget your head if it wasn't attached to your neck, you know, things like that. And and, you know, when I would forget to do the simplest things like close the refrigerator door or clean up after myself, the things that you should do anyway, the thing I remember my mom would say most is say, do I have to remind you to breathe? And then she would say, breathe in, breathe out and say, mom, I get the point. But what was she trying to say? You know, she was saying that the, the, the most basic thing of life, of living, of breathing Something that we don't even think about, that we just do naturally. She was trying to say, look, do I have to even remind you to do something that you should know to do on your own? That was the point she was trying to make and being sarcastic in the process. And I guess it helped in a sense because now I say the same thing to my kids, see, right? And that's the circle of life. That's the way it's supposed to work. But see, my mom was trying to get the point across that you know, the, the thing that's most vital to life about breathing, do I have to even like tell you and remind you to breathe? I have to remind you to close the refrigerator door like I shouldn't have to even tell you. 
Should I even have to tell you to breathe? I mean, we aren't, we don't need a reminder. You don't set your alarm, do you, to wake up and then it says, breathe in, breathe out. Now, sometimes when we get anxious or nervous, we need to, hey, take a step back and breathe. I mean, Claudia was even sharing there's those seasons in life where you need to be reminded. Maybe you need to take a step back and take a deep breath in, even if it's symbolically, and say, look, Maybe I'm not being healthy in my life. I'm not being healthy in my walk with the Lord even. I need to take a step back and be still and just breathe. You know that um, on average, we breathe about 12 to 20 times a minute. Did you ever kind of sit and count how many times you breathe? No, because we just do it. About 12 to 20 times a minute, the average person breathes and That comes out to um, a lot of breathing. It's about 28,000 breaths per day. It's about 10 million per year. And about an average of 800 million breaths in a lifetime. That's a lot of breathing, isn't it? Breathe in, breathe out. It's a good thing that we don't have to be reminded of that. But you know, breathing is the most basic of life functions. But yet we are called... To be still and to breathe. You know, um, as a, a vocalist and as a singer, you know, when you, especially like if you're taking lessons or I remember way back in high school in choir, you were taught how to breathe properly. You know, there's even the right way to breathe. We almost all of us, we breathe in like this with our shoulders. You ever notice that? Do you ever wonder why is my neck all like tight and everything? Because we're not breathing properly. A newborn baby, if you ever notice, comes out breathing Breathing from their stomach. It's called belly breathing. From their diaphragm, they're breathing. That is the right and most natural way to breathe. But then we sort of unlearn that as life goes on. And the stresses come and we just kind of breathe in our chest like this. And that's okay. But do you know we're actually not getting all of the good oxygen that we should? We're supposed to breathe from here. And so as a singer, you're taught to breathe this way and you even put your hand on your stomach so you can feel it because you get a deeper breath. Do you ever notice how the professional singers can carry out a note for so long? It's because they took the right kind of breath. You'll never see them going like that. Well, that's what happens when we get stressed and we're anxious, right? And, but it's almost become like the natural routine that we're not even breathing right. But in a way... It's like us as Christians in our worship that maybe we're not even worshiping God effectively or in the right way or in a healthy way that we're just kind of doing this and offering this to God when we should be breathing deep, breathing out and breathing in. Because it's good and healthy for our bodies to breathe that way properly 28,000 times a day, but not like this. And so from even our one verse today, we're going to unpack it and focus on a couple of different words, but you're going to see that I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us about worship is that it is to be a lifestyle and it is to be as natural for the Christian as breathing in and breathing out. The word for spirit, pneuma, in the Greek, really means like breath. When you say all the way back, even in the Old Testament, ruach, 
which means the breath. You see that when the Spirit of God came, it was like the breath of God over the waters when God breathed life into Adam. It was the breath of God. It was that word. It was that idea that it was very, it was God Himself breathing. But you know what worship should be like for us? If we say that worship is a response to how good God is and to who He is as Creator, like we say worship is giving, right? We, we often will put our hands up because it's like an act of surrender. We're giving back to God. That's our response to who He is. It's like breathing. It's been said that we are to breathe in grace and breathe out worship. See, we breathe in the grace of God and His goodness, but then our response is when we exhale and we breathe out thanks to God in worshiping Him in every way in life. And the idea then is that are we exhaling? I mean, sometimes, did you ever have somebody say, just breathe, breathe out, like take a deep breath in, but then let it out. Right? You're supposed to let it out. That's what relaxes you. That's what gives you the peace. You breathe in that necessary oxygen, but then you, you let it out to relax. And that's spiritually like, that's our worship to God. We are breathing in the grace of God and breathing out worship to Him. For He is the giver of life. And the very essence of life which sort of keeps us alive, that vital activity of breathing, is the rhythm of life. It helps to remind us that God is the one that started that life. That started that, that breathing in of the air at the moment of birth and to this world. And then from that point on until we breathe our last, when He calls us home, we are to breathe in. And to breathe out. But as Christians, we know the truth of God's Word tells us that we are made new in Him. And we have been regenerated through the Holy Spirit. That we can now be connected to God. And so, we are now called to worship. That's why the title of our series is Created to Worship. Because that is why God has created us and made us to bring Himself glory through the way that we worship Him. But oftentimes, we get too busy. And the busyness of life just sort of creeps in. And as Claudia mentioned, you know, she said she had the privilege of spending the week with that guy. That's my new name, by the way, is that guy. Pastor that guy, I guess we can do that. That's okay, I'll take it. But you know, there, there, was, um, there was a need for it. And uh, you know, Claudia reminded me this week that they say like when you're thirsty, that it means you're already like kind of dehydrated. That you shouldn't wait to drink water until you're thirsty. Is that right? We're supposed to be drinking a lot of water. They say eight, oh, however much, I don't know, crazy amounts of water every day. But the idea is that if you wait until you're thirsty, well, it's kind of like too late, then it means you're already sort of on the verge of dehydration. But it's the same thing with getting away and being still. If you wait until you're so anxious and so busy, then maybe you've waited too long. And so it's good to set that time aside because don't we need in this world that we live in our society that we need to be intentional about setting that time aside, whatever it looks like for you. 
whether it's a week away with a spouse or you go away for a weekend with a, a good friend or you even get a, alone with just yourself and God. The idea is to sort of recalibrate, to refocus and say, what are the priorities? I was sharing with somebody earlier today that on, on our drive home uh, last night that I was reflecting on our time away and I think what helps most with de-stressing and maybe you relate to this, is not having responsibilities. When I mean, is there a reason that we usually go away? I've tried staycations, and that's okay. But when you stay, Kate, when you're like in your house, don't you kind of look around and you see like all the things that have to be done? And then you're like all worked up, and you're like, this is not really a vacation, right? Maybe I'm not at work, but I'm home still stressed out. But when you actually get away and take your, remove yourself intentionally from the norm, from the daily routine... What I found was that what de-stressed me the most was just not having responsibilities. The only responsibility that I had really was to make the coffee in the morning. That's a big responsibility, because if the coffee's not good, it could ruin the whole day, right? But the idea is that, you know, other than that, that was it. And you don't have to get up and say, well, okay, so I have to take, get rid of the kids ready for school or I have to, um, you know, take care of this. You pay this bill or you have to go and drop this off or, you know, buy this, buy lunch meat at the, the supermarket, whatever it is. No responsibilities. We even, you know, we intentionally were doing this and we would say, well, where are we going to have breakfast there or lunch? I don't know. We didn't even make a plan and we would drive and, and even one morning we saw a billboard and it said, um, Thai, Thai and sushi. And Claudia loves Thai food and I love sushi. Perfect. That's where we're going for lunch. It's like, but see, it's just like so freeing, right? It's so freeing because you don't have the responsibility. Now, of course, we know that can't be every day because we have responsibilities and that's part of life. But I guess what I'm saying is what's important is to be able to recalibrate ourselves, to sort of reboot, you know, when you have a problem with your computer, what do you, you call the IT department and right? What do they say? Have you tried rebooting? That's great. I'd love that job. Just reboot. Okay, that's perfect. We need to kind of reboot our system. And when you do that and you can lay everything else aside and do as the Scripture that was read, be still, that helps us to remember what really is important. All of the priorities of life are important, but what are we created for? We're created to worship. We worship God through singing songs. We worship God in giving, in serving others. We worship God the way that we pray. And we worship God when we open His Word and we study it together. It's all about ascribing worth to God and bringing our focus and attention on Him. And so today in the fourth installment of our five-week series, we're looking at one verse, Romans 12, 1. And it's up on the screen. And this is one that I think that many of us have probably memorized. I memorized it in a different version but here's what it says, Romans 12.1. And I'm just going to highlight a few words in our remaining time together this morning. A few words that we need to look at. And those words are sacrifice, spiritual, and worship. I'm going to talk about those three words in particular. So what does it say in Romans 12.1? This is the Apostle Paul writing his letter to the Roman Christians. Okay, the book of Romans we call it. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you. Therefore, some of your versions just start with therefore. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
He's saying, I appeal to you to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now some versions will say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. But they're all good and they're all right. Whether there might be a few added words in there, this is the crux of what Paul is saying. And so let's give a little context and then um, unpack those three words together. So when we see the word therefore in Scripture, we like to say that it is there for a reason. And so how do you find the context? Well, what was being said before this? So the Apostle Paul just got done writing in, in 11 chapters... Before we get to Romans 12, in 11 chapters, Paul is basically unfolding and revealing the mercies of God. And he does it in many different ways. A lot of theology he packs in there, but it's all about the grace of God, the salvation of God, and why that is so merciful towards us as sinners. And so Paul then gets to chapter 12, and it's a pivotal point, because he's now sort of moving in a different direction, but he is saying, based upon, listen, he's saying, based upon everything I just talked about that you were reading, here's what you need to do. So in a way, it's like Paul, if you were to read the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is giving us the theology, the doctrine, he's saying, this is what you are to believe and why, and now he's saying, this is how you live it out. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. You know, in our regular uh, series, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And if you just joined us today or the last couple of weeks, like I said, we're going through this short five-week series uh, on worship. And it's going to end next week. And then we, the week after that, when we come back and we um, you know, bring music back into our worship time, it is Palm Sunday and then Easter Resurrection Sunday. And so we're leading right up to that. But you know we're normally going through the Gospel of Mark, so we sort of, you know, push pause on that for this five-week series. And Mark is all has been all about discipleship, right? We've talked about that church, and and so in a sense here, Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, now that I've told you, in the first eleven chapters of this letter to the Romans, what to believe and why and what Jesus has done for us, he says, now look at what your response should be. And that's a key word. Let's remember that, church, that worship is our response. Okay? Really important. Worship is our response to God's mercies. See, that's what we say. It's sacrifice. It's surrender. It's yield. It's giving. We raise hands. We bow down. Whatever it is, we are giving back to God because He is worthy. But it's our response to Him. Okay? It's a response to who He is. And to his goodness. So now Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. He's saying, therefore, in view of God's mercies, or by the mercies of God. Some versions say, in the view of God's mercies. He's like saying, look in the rearview mirror. What did I just talk about in the first 11 chapters? He says, in view of all that, therefore, here's what you are to do. In this one verse, Paul just describes it. And then the rest of the book, he sort of unpacks that. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he gets a little more descriptive. Holy 
and pleasing or acceptable to God, this is your spiritual worship. So church, what are we called to do as disciples? Do you ever kind of ask yourself, like, so I'm a Christian, sort of now what? Paul is saying, yes, now that you have understood that God is merciful, now you've understood that He has sent His Son Jesus on your behalf, what am I to do? Paul says, now you're, you want to be a disciple? Jesus said, you have to do what? Deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow me? And Paul is saying, how do you deny yourself? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is holy and pleasing to God. And that, then, is your spiritual act of worship. And so what does it mean to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? You see, in the Old Testament, we know that what was the sacrificial system based on? What did they use to sacrifice to God? Animals. Right? All different kinds of animals for different kinds of sacrifices. There's all everything laid out in Leviticus about when and where and how to do all that. But we are now, as believers, to offer ourselves as a sacrifice because Jesus was that perfect Lamb of God who was that last sacrifice once and for all. So we are no longer living under that old sacrificial system. That's why we don't come together on a Saturday, or it would have been a Saturday, on the Sabbath to sacrifice animals, right? But did you ever think about it this way? When you come into the building, you're offering still sacrifices, aren't you? You should be. And what are you offering? Yourself. See, that's what Paul is saying. That you are now to offer your, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, that word body doesn't just mean physical. He goes on to talk about sexual immorality and things of that nature. Like, yes, physical, we offer our bodies to be holy and pure to God. But that word really means your whole essence. Spirit, mind, and body. All that you are is to be offered to God. You follow me? That's what he's saying. Offer your bodies, offer your whole self as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, when they offered an animal sacrifice, it was the whole animal. It wasn't just the the hoof. It wasn't just this. It was the whole animal. The whole animal offered on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And it wasn't to be just the sick or the lame. Right? Right? It's to be the choicest, the first fruits, the best of the best. Church, that's what we're supposed to offer to God. If we're offering ourselves, are we offering in worship to God the best of what we have? Or does it tend to just be the leftovers, right? And so under the old system, it was the whole animal. And so Paul is saying now spiritually, you ought to offer your whole body as a living sacrifice. Not just part but all of you. But then, he calls it a living sacrifice. See, the animals, of course, under the old system, they had no choice, did they? And they were dead. The idea that they were a sacrifice. They were killed, put on the altar. But he says, no, no, no. You're no longer dead. You're alive in Christ. Is that true? It is. And so we are living sacrifices. But the problem, as it's been said, is that a living sacrifice often likes to crawl off of the altar. See that? And we do that. When, when we offer ourselves to God, which is our spiritual act of worship, we don't always like it. We say, God, this hurts. This takes time. 
takes time away from what I really like to do, to offer worship to you and to do it sacrificially. And so if you put a living sacrifice on the altar, they have to willingly stay. There's a choice to be made. And sometimes we kind of, as living sacrifices, we like to just kind of crawl right off of the altar. But see, therein lies the beauty of it, is that this is a choice that we make. Under the Old Testament, the animals didn't have a choice, but we have a choice. Are we going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? Are we going to do it? All of us. Are we going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him? I like to say it this way, this way, since Christ died for me, I will live for Him. That should be our mantra, right? Since Christ died for me, I want to live for Him. So I want to be a living sacrifice in worship, in response to what Christ has done. So then we see this word spiritual, right? We, we, uh, again, we don't have time to look at every single word and sort of parse it out. But he says that living sacrifice is holy and acceptable. Because what does holy mean? Like we said in, in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed, it's set apart. You are to set yourselves apart, church. We are to do that as a spiritual act of worship. That's why he says holy and pleasing are acceptable to God. Because sin can't enter into God's presence, see? And so it has to be holy. Whatever is offered to God has to be marked as holy and so because of the blood of christ we are not we are now considered righteous and holy in god's sight Isn't that beautiful but it's all because of the blood of christ that covers our sin amen and so holy and pleasing are acceptable to god when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice because you remember we've covered this before that there was times when worship was offered to god in the old testament but it was unacceptable worship it happened to two of the sons of Aaron who was supposed to be in charge of the worship. And what happened? God struck them down. Severe, yes, but what is God saying? That there is a way to worship me and I want all of you and I want you to do it the right way. Because I have given my son for you. See? But what is it? It's not a series of rules or a formula. It's just about surrendering ourselves to him. Offering ourselves, our whole bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, okay? So, it's a living sacrifice, but it is spiritual and it is worship, okay? How is it spiritual? Look at what it says in 1 Peter 2.2. It says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. It's the same word there, spiritual. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That word spiritual in the Greek is the same as the, the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12.1. As we grow closer to God and our connection with God, it's like eating the food. It sustains our bodies. And so spiritual worship, spiritual worship is nourishment for the soul. Paul, Paul says, in view of all God's mercies and His compassion that should feed and nourish and sustain us. Why? So that we can grow and then give ourselves back. You see, the farmers back in the day that they would raise up animals to be sacrificed. 
raise them up that they would grow big and strong, that they would be acceptable, set apart to God for sacrifice. We are to be continually growing in our spiritual maturity, growing in our relationship to God, so we are then continually offering ourselves. See how that works? As a spiritual act of worship. That word um, spirit, again, as I mentioned, pneuma, it's that word for breathing. So in a sense, worship is like breathing to the Christian. It should be that breathing in the grace and breathing out worship to Him. In, um, in that word worship that we saw in, in, our, in our verse for today, that it could be your spiritual act of worship. That word worship, there's many words for worship in uh, Hebrew and in Greek, but that word worship is particular. And it really means the act of the service of the priests. Now here's why that's important, church, why I bring that up. Because under the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was a group of people set aside, right? The priests who were set aside to just focus on leading the worship in the temple. Offering the sacrifices that the people would bring, right? And that was how they ministered and served God. So, this word worship that Paul chooses, your spiritual act of worship, that particularly means, and the first readers of his letter would have understood this, it means like what the priests did, listen, as service to God in the temple. So now he's saying, wait, we're supposed to do this as Christians offering our bodies on the altar a living, not dead, a living sacrifice, that that is an act of worship it means that that's how we serve God. See, but aren't we now called a royal what priesthood? The priesthood of every believer is what the New Testament teaches us. See, there's no longer just set aside a group of people that offer worship on behalf of the, Isra- the people of Israel. It says, now we are in Christ a royal priesthood. Being built up for Him that we then are each of us responsible to call and bring sacrifices on the altar. But what is the sacrifice? Ourselves. Our body. Our spirit, mind, our soul, our body. First Peter chapter 2. It's verse 4 and 5 and 9 and 12. Look, at, This helps to paint the picture. Here's the implications of this. That our ministry to God is worshiping Him by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, because that's what's pleasing to God. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by... This is who Jesus is. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He's saying you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a, here it is, holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That just explained what Paul said in Romans 1, right? That's what each of us is called to do now. Brothers and sisters, we are that royal priesthood being built up in the likeness of the living stone, like living stones, being built up into spiritual maturity so that we can offer ourselves back to him. And then in verse 9, you are a chosen race. He's talking about believers now. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. See, in God's eternal plan, He chose for Himself a people through Abraham, didn't He? The people of Israel. And they were called to set themselves, this is important, to set themselves apart, being holy, so that they can represent God to all of the nations around them. That was God's plan. But see, over and over again, the people of Israel disobeyed and disappointed God. And they did things like intermarrying that God told them not to do with other nations. And see, it, it was a detriment to their testimony and their witness. God said, you're supposed to be a people for me to worship and honor me and then to be a light to all of the nations around you. And they failed at doing that. So he says, okay, until my son returns, until the time of the kingdom, all these things we've covered when he will finish blessing and keeping all of his promises to his um, chosen people, Israel. He says, now there is the church. There is no longer, until that time in the future, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. He says, you're all now the church and you're all a royal priesthood, a possession for me. See, our God is a jealous God. He's a God that desires worship. He desires to be glorified again. We are created to worship. So he says, you are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, isn't that kind of like what Paul was saying? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, he's like, you weren't, you didn't receive mercy. And then I just spent 11 chapters telling you about God's mercy. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, here's what you do. Offer yourselves in worship to God. He says, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's us. We're sojourners and exiles because this world is... Praise God, it's not our true home. We're just sojourners and exiles in a sense because we are spiritual. Our true home is in heaven. We look forward to that day. But he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to do this. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, he's speaking to the Jewish people, saying this is what you should have been doing. But he's then speaking to the church. He's saying all together as believers in Christ, be a witness to the non-believers, to the Gentiles now, will you? And how are you to do that? Set yourselves apart. Be holy and pleasing to God by offering yourselves as a living sacrifice. How do we live? We breathe in. We breathe out. Every moment of every day. So worship is not to be just a half an hour by singing four songs on a Sunday. That is one expression of what should already be in here. Is our worship to God. See, that's why we've set aside that music worship. Even if nothing else to help get our attention. And maybe you haven't enjoyed it. And you haven't liked it and you miss it. And you're like, why are we even doing this? This stinks. And I say, that's good. If you've ever fasted from food, 
And you're like on day two of your fast, and you're like, this stinks, I hate this. I want to eat food because I miss it and it's good. Well, that's great. Because when we reintroduce music back on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, it will be that much sweeter. And hopefully we then have that perspective, right? That, wow, we get to worship God through music, something He created, a beautiful language He created. Man, that's the idea. And so just wrapping this up, you know, we have this illustration of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, but like the Old Testament system, it is to be the best. Are we offering God the first fruits of who we are? You know, Sunday is really not the last day of the week. We kind of act like it is, but really, scripturally speaking, it's the first day of the week. And so we are gathering here on a Sunday morning. It's like the first thing that we do at the start of a new week. Do you ever think of it that way? And so we say when we gather, we're worshiping God. That's a good way to start our week. It's because we're offering God something fresh. Now, yes, we come in and maybe we're beat up from a, a week, right? Well, that's okay. But we are starting. I guess you, you were, right? You get that, yeah. But then we, aren't we, isn't it great to start a new week with familiar faces and new faces and people that you, that you can ask you know, a part of the royal priesthood, right, in a sense, and ask to pray for you, and you say, how are you? And they say, I've been busy, and you say, stop using that bad word. (laughs) Because yes, we're all busy, but you know what? That doesn't make us better. Even if you're busy about church, dare I say, that's good, but it doesn't make you spiritually mature. It just makes you a busy Christian, (laughs) But the idea is, look, we get into the heart of it, to the heart of what worship is. It's offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And how do we do it? We breathe in grace. We breathe out worship. And you know, even this, it's so cool. If you remember the story of Moses and the burning bush, remember? It's probably maybe the first one you learned if you went to Sunday school. Mm Mm-hmm. And when Moses was called by God to go back to Pharaoh and to free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and what does Moses ask God? And he says, well, who should I say sent me? And what does God say? Tell them I am, right? Because I am that I am. And from that, we get this word Yahweh, right? Now in the Hebrew, the Jewish people, they won't even, out of tradition and out of reverence and respect, even pronounce the name of God. So they then added in Adonai. So if you see in your Bibles, the word Lord capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is that word for God. If just the L is capitalized, that's referring to Adonai, where Jesus says Lord, right? That He is our Lord, our King, our Master. But if it's all capitalized, it means Yahweh. But see, Yahweh isn't really even a word because in the Hebrew, it's four consonants. Four consonants in the Hebrew language. And then the sort of the other vowels were kind of added in later so it could be pronounced. But traditionally, it wasn't even pronounced because like you can't even speak that name. That's how holy God is. But those four consonants that make up that what we now would say Yahweh, right? Is Yod, Va, Ha, Hey, this idea of four, just four simple consonants. Just these 
for representing the name of God? Yo, ha, vad, hey. Doesn't that in some way sound like breathing? Yo, ha, va, hey. There's this idea of like breathing the name of God. When God said, tell him I am sent you in a way, he was like saying, the very breath that you breathe is from me. I am sent you. I mean, Moses is probably like, what kind of name is that? That's what you want me to go with? I am? But it's like breathing. Breathing out the name of God. When we worship, it should be as natural and as often and as common as breathing. Breathing in the grace. Breathing out worship. Even the very name of God, which wasn't even pronounced because of how holy it is. So church, in view of God's mercies, we are called to offer our bodies, our whole being, offer them to God and no one else as a spiritual act of worship. We are to do it sacrificially. Offer your bodies as a living, not a dead one, a living sacrifice. The first fruits, like Jesus. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because that's holy. It's set apart. That's what pleases God. That will be your spiritual worship. Spirit because God is spirit. Spirit because it comes from the Holy Spirit within you. Helping you to just at the very deepest part of who you are, breathe it out. That's spiritual and it's worship. Because it was the service of the priests, but now we are a royal priesthood, a possession of God, called to be set apart for Him in this world until He returns for us. Can we do that, church? Can we live more for Him by worshiping Him, by honoring Him, and offering ourselves as living sacrifices that's holy and pleasing to our God because that's our spiritual act of worship. Would you stand as I pray? Father, we, um, we close our time in prayer. And when we pray, we worship You. As we say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Holy is Your name. So holy that the ancients didn't even pronounce it. They dare not pronounce the very name of God. Father, may we take that attitude in our hearts and our minds this week. May we encourage each other as we interact with each other and and remind each other about who we are, that we are created to worship the living God as living sacrifices because that then is pleasing to You. We want to please You, God. We want to please You. We want to be set apart and be that royal priesthood and represent You well in this community, in this country, and then in this world. Until You return, God, would You help us to do that? But we know our part. We've been created to worship. And so we are then in view of all of Your wonderful mercies that are new every morning. May our worship be new every morning as well. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the One who motivates us to worship.
We do it in his name. Amen.